0: from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard.
1: And I'm Clark Corbin.
0: You know, the the word historic is something that gets thrown around way too often. Pundits lean on it far too easily. But this really was a a historic week in in state government. Uh, The response to the coronavirus we saw things this past week that I don't think any of us could have imagined uh, a statewide closure of public schools that will go into effect, uh, through at least April 20th, a three week stay at home order from the governor on Wednesday. It's, uh, this is stuff we could not have mentioned a few weeks ago. And we're going to try to put into context here on the podcast this week. I want to give you kind of a a caveat here up front, kind of like we've done uh, over the past couple of weeks. The sound quality is probably not uh, optimal. We're doing this uh, over the phone. We're trying some new technology, trying to figure out the, the right way, the best way to do a podcast in a social distancing world. So the sound quality may not be, you know, uh, up to up to standard, but hopefully the content and the context that we can provide here over the next half hour or so will, will make it worth the while.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. We're doing uh, the best we can and we hope that it's still worthwhile uh, to get the news and the content out um, as we work on uh, trying to improve the sound quality a, a, a little bit. But let's get right into it, Kevin. As you mentioned, um, I haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime as a citizen or, or a journalist, but if you want to start Monday, uh, that's when the big news really started. You covered the state board of education special meeting and it was a big one. Um, what action did they take? What's the reaction and what's your impression?
0: It really was. It was, um, it, it was a fairly dramatic turnaround, uh, from the State Board of Education regarding schools. As we've seen over the past couple of weeks, uh, most school districts around the state have launched into a school closure, have launched into a school closure. Part of it timed around spring break. Most uh, school districts around the state are on spring break or heading into spring break here in the next few days. So most schools had already been closed, or at least on a temporary basis. What the State Board did on Monday was uh, something they they called a soft cloture what that essentially means is that kids will not be taking classes in schools the brick and mortar aspect of education is on hold until at least april 20th and i think uh the board was pretty clear that they'd come back and look at that april 20th date as uh, as we get closer to it um there's certainly nothing uh, set in stone about April 20th as a reopen date for public schools, and and really in the discussion in the state board meeting on Monday, uh, board member Kurt Liebeck said, you know, he'd had conversations with school administrators who actually wanted to push out the target date to reopen uh, more towards May 1st. So I think there's definitely. Uh, you know, for sure. Now we know that all schools in the state are going to be closed uh, at least for the next three weeks, at least until the third week of April. And we know the state board's going to look at this more closely. You know, it, as I talked to uh, Debbie Critchfield, the president of the board after Monday's vote, and we talked about how this had kind of unfolded over the week uh, leading up to it, you know, you had had Governor Little say, Uh, that he was not going to order a statewide school closure. That was the conference call we were both in on back uh, on March 15th, Sunday, March 15th, where he said he was not going to order a statewide closure, was gonna leave the, the local administrators, and really said fairly straightforwardly that his preference would be for schools to remain open. But a lot of school districts closed fairly quickly. And, you know, we saw West Ada, the largest district in the state, do an about-face over the course of that Sunday, the 15th, going from saying, we will be open on Monday, the 16th to, uh, by Sunday night, saying, no, we are closed effective tomorrow, Monday. And, And they've been closed ever since and will now be closed at least until April 20th. But the way Debbie Critchfield couched it when I talked to her afterwards was we have most of the districts in the state closed right now, and a lot of districts and a lot of administrators are trying to figure out, well, when do we reopen? When When is it safe to even think about reopening, and how do you do that, and how do you make that decision? She said that the board really wanted to take that off of the plate for local administrators. Uh, the idea is that administrators are dealing with so many other things right now. Let's not even have that conversation going on in 115 school districts and and more than 50 charter schools let's just have a blanket policy in place uh, so that you know districts can deal with a lot of the other questions that they're having to deal with mainly how do you deliver education in an online platform in in a digital setting and how do you make that transition really in in a matter of days and that's uh, what we're seeing districts and charters kind of wrestling with right now
1: and i think that that kevin was a really good point to talk about that language soft closure and that was even a little confusing to me on monday you know what that what does that mean what is this guidance but as you said just to repeat real quick before we move on um it is a directive to close the brick and mortar aspect of all schools <laughs> statewide effective immediately at least until April 20th, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going back to school. April 20th, the decision will be reevaluated. But don't let that soft close, don't overthink that soft closure language um, or, or let that confuse you. It, it absolutely is a directive to close the physical locations, but I guess the reason they call it a soft closure is they can still do distance learning and online learning, and we are exactly. seeing many districts. And charters uh, go that direction, correct? Yeah, there, there was a fair
0: amount of confusion about what the state board decided and what it all meant. Uh, you know, even as I, as I sat in the meeting and worked on the story right after the meeting, it it was not immediately clear sitting in the meeting whether the state board was recommending a soft closure or directing a, a soft closure and. You know my first my first write-through of the story monday afternoon uh, had it as a recommendation and the state board you know called me within a couple of minutes of that story being posted and said no this is a directive it, it's in order every school is going to be uh closed uh until at least april 20th so if it was confusing to people listening on the conference call and i know you know there were hundreds of school administrators listening on that conference call it may have been confusing to them. It certainly was to me sitting in the meeting room, you know, and the terminology soft closure. I, we had uh, several readers say, well, what exactly is soft closure? I mean, I I got a phone call from my niece who's a junior high school kid uh, asking, Hey uncle Kevin, what is a soft closure? (laughs) So, you know, it was kind of a lesson in journalistic jargon and, and education jargon and how that doesn't always translate to people on the ground. And I, I had to tell me niece, well, long story short, you're going to be around your sisters and brother for a few more weeks. So, I think there was a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, uncertainty about where the state board was going here and what exactly it meant. But we know now what, uh, what they meant and where the state board sees us going from here. The state board's planning to have at least weekly meetings uh, to look at the coronavirus situation and the response in schools. So. We'll get uh, more details uh, next week and the following week, and we'll get more of a sense of where this is going heading into that April 20th date. But you know, right now, schools uh, have a lot to wrestle with just in terms of the online education delivery. Uh, even the biggest districts like West Data are trying to figure out how to do that. NAMP is ready to with a plan on on Tuesday, uh, the Boise district is going to roll out the first phase of an online learning plan on Monday. But you know, this is something, you know, districts large and small are having to uh, to pivot towards in
1: in real time. It is, and and that's we're going to continue to follow the state's response to the coronavirus, and we're going to continue to follow how educators and in our school system and colleges and universities handle their approach to education in this basically unprecedented time. But let's. So
0: the local decisions we'll still be watching. Monday um, yeah. night the Blaine County School Board is going to meet remotely, and you know people are going to be able to participate in the meeting uh, through an online platform. And one of the things the Blaine County Trustees are going to be talking about is what do they want to do beyond April twentieth. And anybody who's been following the coronavirus story knows that, that Blaine County has has really been hit hard these past few days. Uh, the the Consistently, the highest number of cases in the state have been centered in Blaine County, a fairly small county in terms of population, certainly not one of the largest counties in the state in terms of population. Uh, The first death reported uh, in relation to COVID-19 was in Blaine County. That news came Thursday. So school administrators there are really on the front lines of this uh, pandemic and really having to deal with the question of what do they want to do in blaine county beyond april 20th so we'll watch that meeting lots going to be going on at the local level all across the state we'll, we'll try to keep tabs on that and try to give you the biggest developments as we see this unfold around the state and we'll keep close tabs on what the state board is uh, saying in terms of directives or recommendations to the schools
1: yeah but you're, you're absolutely right the Central Idaho community of Blaine County, which is home to Ketchum and Haley and Bellevue and the Sun Valley ski resort, um, has been hit the hardest thus far. As we record this on Friday, March twenty seventh, uh, two of the first three deaths that were announced this week um, actually occurred in, in, in Blaine County in relation right. to the the coronavirus, and so they've they've got their hands full over there. That was the first school district that I was aware of to close. Uh, That was the first instance of community spread. But let's push the story forward by just about 48 hours, and that's where we're going to get into this concept of community spread again. But on Wednesday, Governor Little issued an order that I never would have thought that I would have seen uh, in my lifetime. And I've certainly never seen anything uh, like this on my lifetime. But in response to community spread of the coronavirus into Idaho's most densely populated areas, uh, particularly Ada County, seems likely Canyon County as well. On Wednesday, Governor Little, uh, surrounded by National Guard officials at the Boise's Gowan Field, issued a statewide uh, stay-home order, uh, effective immediately. Uh, For three weeks, alongside that, he also issued... A declaration of extreme emergency and along with that statewide order um, it restricts it requires all Idaho citizens regardless of whether they are sick to self-isolate at home and it bans non-essential travel and it closes non-essential businesses and so it's a far-reaching historic order the likes of which we have seen in other states in recent weeks uh, but before this year, I had never, in my wildest imagination, uh, thought that this could be something that could affect you know, us and our lives here. But one of the things the governor did was carve out that education is considered essential. Uh, public schools, private schools, colleges and universities, education and educators are considered essential uh, at this time. And so that allows them uh, to leave their homes. That allows them... Uh, to do work to faci- to facilitate distance learning, and it allows them to do other essential functions uh, to prepare for the ongoing education of students uh, so long as they are able to um, make their bef- best efforts to maintain the social distancing uh, right. among each other. But but go right, ahead, Kevin. This disband- was big. Right, me- I'm sorry. Uh, go well,
0: ahead. One of, the, one of the disadvantages of podcasting is that we can't tell when each of us are talking sometimes because we're, we can't do eye contact. But anyways, um, I was gonna say that as a practical matter, the essential service language in terms of schools, it really is not gonna change much of what we're seeing in K-12 or higher education. I mean, both K-12 and higher ed are, are moving online. Uh, yeah, you're not gonna see classrooms open, but you see that the, this is gonna give educators and administrators a little bit of flexibility to, to go and facilitate the process. to to facilitate the transformation. But in no way is that suggesting that there's going to be any difference in keeping schools closed or shifting to to virtual learning.
1: Yeah, the governor and state officials were really clear that this state home order on Wednesday and the Declaration of Extreme Emergency, they don't do anything to invalidate any of that action that the State Board of Education took on Monday. And that was what we started the show, talking about the uh, four-week school closure until at least April 20th. Uh, So nothing the governor did with the stay home order and the self-isolation order affects what the state board did. Um, But both you and I, Kevin, have been watching the governor, and you did a big analysis piece on Thursday, but this was a major... This was a a major new aspect of the plan, and Governor Little said that he's been following the science and the guidelines from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and that when X happened, the state would do Y in response. And the thing that triggered the statewide stay-home order, the X triggering the Y, was the community spread. Um, But this was the governor really ratcheting up Idaho's response and efforts to flatten the curve and slow the response of the coronavirus with the idea being to protect the capacity in our healthcare system and to protect older Idahoans or Idahoans who may not have strong immune systems. But uh, Kevin, give me more a sense of, of the historic nature of this order. And let's get into your Thursday step back piece because that really helped me kind of process this and, and connect the dots and, and put two and two together.
0: Well, I think, you know, and, and you've heard the governor more than I have even uh, over these past couple of weeks. I, I was struck, and I tried to explain it in the piece uh, that we posted uh, after the uh, stay-at-home order. Two things have really struck me here in the past couple of weeks. First of all, the, the governor has been remarkably, uh, accessible and open and public in this process. I mean, I count where are we, at? I think we've had at least half a dozen news conferences in the past 14 days, and he's going to have another one, uh, on Friday, uh, after we, it, between the time that we record this podcast and the time that the podcast goes live, there'll be a seventh news conference. Uh, he's had weekly town hall meetings with, uh, AARP virtual town meetings. Uh, and I think he has another one coming up on Tuesday. That's correct. Uh, he's done, uh, you know, public television. He, he did a show on, on public TV on Thursday. So he is doing, uh, he's working overtime to try to get the word out and to talk about the, the situation in as many ways as possible and on as many platforms as possible and the message has been consistent he has talked all along about trying to follow the science and trying to time things around the science and that we saw that with the school issue and we saw that with the stay-at-home order i mean on the school issue going back to march 15th going back to that teleconference with the administrators the governor kept going back to the CDC guidelines on school closures, and CDC did issue guidelines that said if you close schools early on in the outbreak, it may not actually do much to halt the spread of the outbreak, and it could put pressure on communities, it could put pressure on parents and families, and you know, you know, place more of a, a pressure a burden on that uh, on that community safety net. So that was one of the CDC guidelines. And he was urging schools to kind of follow along on that, but you also had competing CDC guidelines, frankly, where, you know, the CDC was saying you should avoid gatherings of 50 or more people, which, you know, pretty much takes in most every school. So he was trying to couch the the school closure on the science and, you know, leaning on the CDC guidelines. The school schools saw it differently. Most of the large school districts and most of the school districts across the state saw it differently. Um, but again, on Wednesday, he talked about stay-at-home order. and he said, now we're at a point where we're seeing community spread of coronavirus. We're seeing it in Blaine County. We're seeing it in Ada County. We're seeing it in North Idaho. We're seeing it in large population centers now as, as well as Blaine County. When you start to see community spread, then you want to, you know, to ramp up your efforts to flatten the curve, to avoid exposure, to keep uh, social distancing. So it was a science-driven d- decision and a science-driven announcement in terms of the timing you know, on Wednesday. You know, but as I wrote about it, you know, there's also a lot of politics involved in this. You know, there was the politics of what happened with the school issue and with a lot of school districts you know, definitely feeling pressure from their community from parents from staff pressure to close and in some ways that pressure to close and those local decisions kind of overtook the governor's uh recommendations on school closure and as we headed into wednesday and the you know stay at home order the governor's been taking pressure on both sides uh, of this uh debate i mean there have been folks in boise on social media were highly critical of the governor for not moving quickly enough when the mayor of boise was moving quickly to you know to ban large gatherings to close bars and restaurants to to you know know, to dining services to to you know in-house services and and, you know closing restaurants to everything but curbside and, and pickup so you had folks wanting the governor to move more quickly and more assertively than he did uh, leading into Wednesday. And and now in the wake of Wednesday's announcement, he's also getting criticism from folks who don't like the order, who don't like the steps that he took. Um, You had a demonstration on the state house steps on Wednesday evening after the announcement. At the Freedom Foundation, I didn't get into this in in the analysis piece, but the Freedom Foundation wrote a two-page letter to the governor on wednesday criticizing the stay-at-home order and you know got in a little dig at the governor saying well you don't have to do things to make rachel maddow happy as i think many of you know rachel maddow uh criticized idaho and said idaho had been one of the slowest states to respond to the coronavirus yeah about it on thursday janice mcgee and the lieutenant governor doing an online poll on her facebook page about do people support the closure or not so the
1: governor's getting it on all sides on this. Thing. This was amazing to me, and I just want to pause here for a second. And I don't, this is a little bit of a light moment, and I'm, I don't want to make light of the situation with the coronavirus, but there was a bizarre political situation where Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan uh, made it known far and wide that she was completely out of the loop yes. when it came to the statewide stay home order Uh, which Governor Little, like we talked about, issued on Wednesday. Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan went on Facebook and said this was a far-reaching, wide-sweeping order by the governor that caught many Idahoans off guard, myself included. And then she launched this giant poll saying, do you agree with the governor's decision or not? And there's like a thousand comments on her Facebook page. But what a bizarre thing. For and 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 Brad Little and 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 Janice McGeehan are both Republicans, uh, they're both members of the same political party. But what a bizarre thing for the lieutenant governor to come out and tell the public that she was completely cut out of the loop! Uh, that was wild to me. (laughs) I don't know. I I
0: think of all of the political reactions you could have seen to this, that one was the most you know, inexplicable yeah. reaction I've seen. I mean, that's a real... What does really she gain
1: by sharing that other than just taking a little poke at the governor, uh, which, you know, you could draw your own conclusions about how that will affect her level of, of influence and being at the table going forward, given what we already know. But I can't imagine what there was to gain by posting that other than just venting some frustration and maybe reaching out to your base to poke the governor in the eye a little bit. But a very strange I, decision.
0: I'm not sure it will get her more in the loop. No, in the end, no I don't loop. think it will at all. If that was her her primary grievance here. I don't think this is going to uh, get her a seat at matters. the table. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. This this is, and I guess this is kind of the thrust of the piece that I tried to write on, on you know on Wednesday in, in here. I think it's it's easy for us all to default back to. Critiquing decisions in the politics of the moment, and I think that's what we we all do. And as pundits, I'm as guilty of it as anybody. You you look at it in terms of short term political uh, gain or loss, or you know how how the you know you know who's kind of winning the news cycle. I mean, I think we we're kind of hostages of that uh, mindset. And and you know, I certainly, like I say, I'm as guilty of it probably as anybody. But these are historic decisions that the governor made, and the implications of these decisions, in, in terms of human life, in terms of the state's economy, these are, you know, dramatic decisions in the face of an unimaginable health crisis. I mean, we're in a place that we could not have imagined weeks ago, and the governor's responding to it in, in the moment, you know, this, this almost feels like it's not fair to, to critique any of this in terms of the politics of the moment. And it feels like it trivializes the, the magnitude of the issue to look at it in terms of the politics of the moment. So I, I you know, I wanted to kind of get a, give people a sense of the, the pressures that he's been facing and the, criticism that he's been fielding on this issue and, you know, try to to put that into into context as we think about the magnitude of these decisions because this isn't rolling back administrative rules. This isn't even proposing pay raises for teachers. I mean, these are such far-reaching decisions, and, and these are public health decisions, you know, life and death decisions that you're making in the face of a virus that even the scientists tell you we don't know very much about. It's new, we don't know how it behaves, we don't know all the answers, and we certainly don't have, you know, a a clear path of how this outbreak is going to work and how this is going to unfold. So, you know, I keep saying it's a historic week, uh, but this is one time that the word historic is is accurate and maybe it soft pedals the situation.
1: Well, I think that that's a really good point to make, and I want to stay here for just a second. I, I think that you're right that it's hard to have a, a quality knee-jerk reaction uh, to this. I think history will judge the world's reaction, our country's reaction, Idaho's reaction, Brad Little's reaction. And, and so I think that has remained to be seen. But I think that you're absolutely right about there's a lot of noise out there right now and Mm -hmm. a lot of distracting stuff out there and a lot of hot takes and let me give you an example. You mentioned the Idaho Freedom Foundation and that piece that they came out with citing Rachel Maddow or whatever and I want to go back to a reaction to that piece from Tommy Alquist uh, who we mentioned last week on the podcast. Tommy Alquist, emergency room physician, uh, a business developer and a former Republican Candidate for governor in Idaho. Uh, So Tommy Alquist the conservative Republican Responding to the Idaho Freedom Foundation's Critique of Governor Little calling it quote amateur hour Saying that it was ridiculous and that saying at a time of public health crisis he expected so much more uh, Than that he called it amateur hour Um, And so I think you're absolutely right that there's a lot of noise and a lot of baloney uh, and a lot of hot air out there that's distracting uh, from this, and that's a pretty clear cut example, right? And you know, I think you know,
0: as we try to analyze it this week, and as we try to give you some context of what we've seen this week, and we'll be back doing it again next week. You know, I I think what what I'm trying to do, and I know what you're trying to do too, is you know, you know, let's let's try to you know, you know, kind of cut past the noise and try to cut past the you know. The easy take, the, the hot take, and, and try to to put this into some sort of uh, perspective as best we can. You know, knowing that you know we're like everybody else, we're responding to something that you know we could never have imagined that we'd be looking at uh, here in March 2020. But but here we are, trying to put it into perspective, and and you know we'll keep trying to put it into perspective, also on the website as we keep covering the story and all the angles of the yeah. coronavirus outbreak and how it affects education. I mean, our, our jobs, and we're all working overtime to do it. You know, you and I, uh, you know, all of us at Idaho education is, uh, you know, are putting in extra time and extra effort to try to be as comprehensive on the story as, as accurate on the story as, as timely on the story and try to get to the facts as best we can and the context as best we can.
1: Yeah, and I think a a caveat that I try to keep in mind, and maybe this will be useful for some of our readers or listeners to think about, but uh, I'd be real concerned about anybody using this crisis to try to score quick, cheap political points or try to make a dollar. Uh, I'd be really concerned about either of those two things as you come across those scenarios uh, during this pandemic during this public health, health crisis. And so those are kind of the things that I'm trying to keep in mind. That's a lot of what I wanted to cover this week. i point people to Kevin's step back piece, uh, the homepage www.idahoednews.org, uh, a really important piece talking about the historic decisions that came forward. We also have our main daily coverage. Uh, if you need to take a closer look at Wednesday's stay home order. Monday's directive from the State Board of Education uh, or any of our daily responses we did have a significant increase uh, in confirmed coronavirus cases across the state of Idaho this week and even with the self isolation order I expect to continue to see more increases Kevin are there things that I haven't got to that you want to make sure and talk about before we begin to wrap up this week no just to uh, again uh, out that you know this is
0: a this is an all hands on deck story for us at know Education News. All of us are working, you know, harder than ever to try to give you as much information about how this is unfolding and how it's affecting schools and how it's affecting students and parents and educators and administrators. You know, we are we're dealing with. Uh, we're in unchartered territory. We don't know where this is going. We don't know what the story is going to be next week. I mean, you know, a week ago, the legislature was still in session. They had just barely adjourned when we uh, recorded last Friday's podcast. Well, here we are seven days later. The state house is off limits. It is shut down. You know, you know the people's house is closed because of the outbreak. That's how quickly this has unfolded and how dramatic the developments have been, I mean, that's just one small illustration of this huge story that's, uh, that's unfolding and changing all around us. We are going to do our best to try to keep on top of it and try to give you information. And, you know, lots of journalists in this, uh, in this Valley and in the state are doing the same thing. So, you know, you know, keep reading and keep watching and, you know, you know, stay as under as can, the citizens.
1: Yeah, it's just a minor point, but within that uh, stay home order, the governor did classify the news media as essential, and so we're going to keep doing our jobs. We're going to keep reporting out the story. Both Kevin and I have been able to have a lot of success uh, working remotely and working at a social distance, and I just, again, want to tip my hat to my friends at Idaho Public Television Uh, who have made a lot of the governor's press conferences and announcements available to the public uh, for free, for live streaming. Uh, That's helped me do my job. And I know the governor's staff has taken extra efforts uh, to stream the announcements uh, on Facebook or other areas where they cannot use Idaho Public Television. And so um, I've never seen anything like this, but we're going to continue to cover... uh, And
0: I'll throw it I was going to say, I just want to throw in a shout out to uh, a couple of,
1: to our friends
0: at uh, the two newspapers in the Treasury Valley, the Idaho Statesman and the Idaho Press. Like a lot of newspapers, they've taken down their paywall on coronavirus-related news. I mean, you know, that's you know that's a significant move, uh, you know, in, in tough economic times uh, for newspapers to say, well, it's important, we're going to provide yeah. it to all of our readers for free, um, you know, so,
1: you know, hats off to them. No, no, or no. Yeah, I agree 100%. And hats off to them, uh, the Idaho statesman, Nicole Foy, and everybody else who is translating coverage into Spanish and sharing yes. that out for free. Um, that is awesome. And I love to see stuff like that. That's everything that I wanted to get to this week. Um, you know, we really appreciate you putting a level of trust into us and seeking us out and reading our articles and listening uh, to the pod, even though it sounds terrible, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week with another show and we'll have the latest. In the meantime, please do what you can to take care of yourself and to take care uh, of your family and, and stay safe and, and, and look after yeah. each other um, as we all go through this together. Yeah we are in this together all of
0: us and you know there are steps we can take as as citizens to
1: uh, to help each other out so so please do it. Yeah. All right well hey thanks so much uh, for listening uh, it means the world I'm Clark I'm Kevin stay safe and have a good week.